Welcome to Mark My Words, a podcast that not only aims to inspire and teach the listener about entrepreneurship, it also aims to give my guests an opportunity to talk about their unique journey in entrepreneurship and life. So join me and my guests as we meet at the crossroads on Mark My Words. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Mark My Words. Today, I have a really fun guest with a really interesting story, and I can't wait to talk to her. She is a certified mindset coach and business foundation strategist, and she is also the founder of Black Rose Coaching, and on a lot of her social media, She talks about her four-step vibe system and having the right vibe. And she is none other than Leticia Francis. Leticia, how are you doing today? I'm amazing. Thank you for having me today. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you. I know it took a little time for us to get this episode going. So thank you for that. And thank you for the awesome conversation about my vinyl collection behind me (laughs) before we uh, hit record. Yes. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. Awesome. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about how you got to where you are and what you're doing today, especially the, the vibe system. Can't wait to hear about that. But I consider myself a pretty good sleuth on my guests and doing my research. And (laughs) one thing I came across, so first of all, let me ask this. As a child, what did you dream about doing? What did you see Leticia doing? Because I don't really know if entrepreneurs ever actually see themselves being entrepreneurs especially as we know it today so what were some of your dreams what did you see yourself doing I wanted to be an anesthesiologist wow what what made you want to become an anesthesiologist because there's a particular art to that and that's definitely not something you hear very often that's interesting I have a love for math and science. So I I loved science, I loved math, and I felt like anesthesiology was like a great way to be a doctor without being a doctor, (laughs) if you know what I mean. Like I wanted to be in medical. So my first step was anesthesiologist. It sounded amazing. I can help. Like I would always be needed, you know? And then there was psychiatry at one point in time had crossed my mind as well. So I wanted to be in the medical field initially. That's awesome. And I mean... I had a lot of surgeries growing up, so I know what 
that kind of feels like to be on the table and getting the anesthesia and to, you know, I know how that feels. It's actually a really great feeling until you wake up and you have to recover. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, and you certainly don't have to get into a lot of detail, but I don't know if you like had an experience where like, wow, that was an amazing experience getting anesthesia. You know, I didn't have any major surgeries until I had my babies. So, um, no, I didn't have, I had one surgery that I don't remember. So I can't say that, that <laughs> that's the reason for it. But the psychiatry, um, I spent a lot of my youth in therapy and psych psychiatry care. Um, you know, I had a rough childhood. So I wanted to be able to be a person for someone and truly understand them. I, you know, I used to go to psychiatric meetings and miss every week and walk out of there feeling unheard. So when I considered psychiatry, it was more so to be a better representation that I actually had. And that totally makes sense. I mean, and I know for me growing up the way I did having, you know, like being born with cleft lip and palate and just having some of the issues I had with like, you know, just bridging the gap with people I went to school with and whatnot. I always kind of wondered why I didn't take more of a path like that. And I think I could probably answer that, but uh, <laughs> I, I think... I think I took the path I took because I wanted to do something that would like wow people and stand out more. Mm -hmm. And that obviously was not the right way to think about it. But uh, I kind of wish that I would have taken a little more of the mindset you just presented where you were like, look, I'm really affected by this deeply and I want to help people in that way. And I sometimes wish I would have taken that approach, but mm -hmm. you know, I, I digress. So that was something you wanted to do. And then did you follow through on that at all? Did you decide to go another way for some reason? I went to school. I was enrolled in pre-med. And then I dropped out of college um, and then I got married and there was a whole lot of other things that happened. Um, so no, <laughs> yes and no. I started down that route and I got detoured. <laughs> De I took a detour. <laughs> I mean, and it happens, you know, it happens to a lot of us. And I know I have a few detours in my day just to kind of keep myself on track and be in the field that I'm in and heck even with this podcast it's been some detours and delays and whatnot and it happens even when you're really passionate about something so I mean I can understand you know that's just life and uh, you have to roll with it right <laughs> right exactly no you're absolutely right and again doing kind of like my prep for episodes, which is what I do, 
And it really kind of like, I think helped the answer a little bit because I saw that he got into like risk analysis at one point. And I don't even know what an actuarial intern might be. But uh, like risk analyst, like for me, I, I can't, I saw that and I'm like, I can't ever imagine somebody thinking about their adult life and being like, boy, I'm really passionate about risk. But you did say that you're very mathematical, which would make sense. Yeah, so that ending up as a risk analyst was another detour because I I ended up going back to the university in my late 20s and my bachelor's degree is in risk management and insurance. Um, I am originally from Bermuda and Bermuda is an insurance mecca. So if I wanted to make big money, <laughs> I had to get into insurance, which I did. Um, I started off in actuarial science um, as my major. And then I was like, how committed am I to calculus? (laughs) You know, as much as I like it, how committed am I? Well, do you know, know, not cut you off, I'm sorry, but mm -hmm. you know how uh, committed I was to calculus? I never even Only took- as committed as anybody else and they hated it and just took it because it was a base class. <laughs> I never even took calculus. <laughs> so I took like, so I'm absolutely, and I do 100% mean this, I am atrocious at math. I am not very good. So when I was in high school, doing well in like science and doing amazing in English and writing and all this stuff. I'm like limping along, trying to just get the heck out of high school with math. And I got to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm going to take applied math. I'm going to take applied math too. Like I, even though I wound up going to college and I, I could not handle even like algebra and calculus, forget it. So um, anytime somebody mentions the word calculus and they can say that they did that at all for a career, you, you totally have my respect. <laughs> well, that's how it started, but <laughs> that's not where it ended. And the thing is, I, I loved calculus, but when you get up to like Calc 1, Calc 2, Calc 3 at a university level, it was like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't know if I want to do this. Plus, um, to be an actuary, so an actuary is one of the top positions in an insurance company. They help determine premium and help the company really hedge risk. Um, so to be a fully qualified actuary takes eight to 12 exams and each exam requires at least two to 400, two to 400 hours of study. So when I thought about, okay, now I've just, I'm in my late twenties, <laughs> I am going back to university. I have to do four years and then start on my path to be an actuary and I was just like "Mm." after four years in university I am not committing to anybody's to 
two four hour study exam like I'm not doing it so I transferred into the risk management and insurance uh degree which I end up getting a full scholarship for and the rest was history and I moved back to Bermuda once I graduated and I became a catastrophe modeler and I what is that what yeah I first of all I want to say all that testing for me would be fail 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 (laughs) so yeah, I I don't know what a catastrophe model does, but I gotta think I would do better at that. What what yes. did you do? What did you do there? So catastrophe modelers determine the risk that a commercial property will have in the result of a natural disaster or man-made disaster. So I used to use property information like building height and floor, square footage, and all other things like cladding and building materials to determine if a Cat 5 hurricane was to hit this building, how much damage is it liable to have? So we used statistical models, probably, probably, I can never say the word, but probabilistic models to determine how much money my company should be bringing in if they chose to insure these buildings for earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, flooding, and terrorism. Wow, that, I feel like I took a little too literally then, because... I'm thinking catastrophe modeling. Do they like, you know, put all this stuff on you to make you look like you were in an accident? And then, <laughs> like, like, that is not, I took that way too literally. No, that's, that's what you really did as opposed to the crazy thing I drew up in my head. That's actually, like, really cool. So, yeah, yeah that's actually, like, really great as opposed to actually being in a project where they <laughs> being simulate a, a disaster <laughs> and you're a person who <laughs> was involved in the disaster. That's yeah, it was a really interesting thought. job. I spent most of my time chasing hurricanes around the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> but it that's was really actually, interesting. That's pretty yeah. neat, actually. So... You wound up doing that for a while, a long while, actually. 14 years. Yeah, and then you found yourself uh, kind of in a fork in the road, switching gears and uh, becoming an entrepreneur. How did that come along? I can't even talk. How did that uh, come along? So in 19, I'm saying 19, in 2013, I moved to England. Um, to further my career and I had two jobs that I didn't really changing culture was a big thing for me I am a very assertive kind of in-your-face personality moving to England where people are rather passive-aggressive I didn't really sit well in this culture and uh, my first two jobs 
be my worst two jobs ever. And then I took a job as the catastrophe data manager of a top 10 Lloyds of London syndicate. And for those who don't know, Lloyds of London is the oldest institution, insurance institution in the world. Lloyds created insurance in a coffee shop in London. So for me, this was the pinnacle of my career. I have, I'm a manager. My job was very unique. They wanted someone to come in and develop an outsourcing team that would help them to become quite innovative. And the company that I worked for in Bermuda was probably one of the most innovative companies in the market at that time. So the information that I bought out of Bermuda hadn't really been seen in in the Lloyd's market um, where a company was actually processing the data from start to finish. They were actually, a lot of companies were outsourcing to model um, outsources. So a lot of the models that we use had in-house people to do the processes as well. So when I came into the company, they wanted to bring the outsourcing back in. They wanted me to develop a process for them um, as, as well as help develop the tools that will be needed. So that's what I did. I came in, I developed a team, I built the tools that we used. I hired the team, trained the team, and then managed the team. And by the end of my five years at that company, I was running a multinational team, getting ready to set up the third team. So I end up building two teams for this company. But the problem was, if I'm honest, and I said it earlier, I am a fish out of water in England. Not only am I foreign with a very strong pride of where I come from and I'm very rooted in my values and my culture. As a foreign black woman in a male, a white male dominated industry, it became a problem for me because the underlying racism um, wasn't so underlying after a while. There is only so much that you can push aside before it starts becoming really bothersome to you. And I was in a role that if I was a white man, and I'm just being honest, if I was a white man, I would have won awards for the things that I did for this company. I carved the way for them to create a very innovative process. But halfway through my time there, my manager changed. And my new manager was not very, he was a micromanager, number one. He wanted to make all of the decisions and it, after two and a half years of making decisions and knowing that the decisions that I was making was moving the company further, it became a little disheartening to me to be in a position and not being able to make decisions or any of the decisions that I made were undermined by my manager or my coworkers. Um, 
it was a very flat department. But as flat as it was, I was still second on the organization, on the second chart of the organizational chart. And I wasn't being paid for that. I also was, like I said, being undermined by all areas. Um, one of the, the team that I was running at the end was an Indian team. And if you are familiar with the Indian culture, they don't take too loud <laughs> to women telling them what to do. So I had to go in and be firm, but it wasn't respected. I was called threatening. I was called scary. My manager used to go into meetings and give a disclaimer about me. Oh yeah, she's a bit rough around the edges, you know, she's a bit harsh. Um, and I was in a meeting once and I had someone ask me, how dare I tell him what to do? And after a while with my, like I said, my pride, and my strong stature, like I'm not ashamed to say that I'm a strong Black woman. I've had to work very hard to get to where I am. I got tired of it. I got tired of playing the game. And if they were willing to continue to use me, like I think the impetus for me was returning back to work after maternity leave and warning my boss for months that, we are heading towards a disaster. And he ignored me and ignored me, dismissed me. And then when the disaster happened, I was the one left cleaning it up. Like, and then he wanted to start another team. And I was just like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this again. And I remember being in a meeting one day with the outsourcing um, company and my manager. And it was a meeting that we had had the week before. And in the meeting, we weren't saying anything different. So I said, you know, I'm, I feel like this is a waste of time. We're not moving forward. Last week, my manager told you that this is what is required and it's not done. When is it going to be done? And the outsourcing man, manager, who used to call me threatening and scary, got really rude with me on the call. So one thing I'm not going to do is take disrespect from anybody. I don't care who you are. I don't care who I'm working for. <laughs> you will not disrespect me. And I let him know that. And then the call went quiet. I got off the call. And my manager called me and told me that I was the reason for the tensions on that call. After I had been disrespected, belittled, shouted at, when I stepped up, I was the problem. So, you know what? I don't need to be here. <laughs> I don't. I had started my coaching business as a side hustle the year before because I wanted an exit plan. Um, did I think it would happen so quickly? No, but I think I just made a decision that, you know what, I've made this company a lot of money. I have changed their systems with the information, the intellectual property that I bought to this company. I'll do something on my own. 
And that's what I've done for the last year. I have been out on my own full time working with women, helping them also start, well, create a solid foundation to their businesses so that they too can leave the toxic work environment. It was very toxic for me. Um, I spent months having to nurse myself back to normal health because I was constantly in burnout state. I was constantly stressed out. My mental health was really at an all time low. And I just, I made a decision. You know what? I don't care if this has been a narrative, you know, you get a good education, you get a good job, you work really hard to climb this ladder. And guess what? I stressed myself out for a ladder that was never created for me. So I'm over here, created my own. Wow, what a powerful story. And I have a couple of thoughts and hopefully... I can remember them all. That was a <laughs> really great long story that you told. And I think the first thing I want to say, and as somebody who I was born with cleft lip and palate, and I have spent my whole life, even though, you know, white male here talking to you, I have spent my whole life just always kind of feeling a little bit on the outside of things. Like I always just kind of went to the beat of my own drum because I just always kind of had a little bit of a hard time fitting into things and just was, I, I've spent a lot of my life like alone and kind of out a little bit. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend to understand what it's like to be another race and have some of those like struggles but I do think that people are threatened by anything that's a little bit different than them and definitely I think as a strong intelligent woman I could see how those on the other side would be like, whoa, wait a minute, like, you know, this is uncomfortable. And I think many entrepreneurs that I've talked to, I almost feel like they all have something in common, regardless of their path. I think they all kind of hit that point where they're like, wait a minute, I'm really smart really driven. I have a lot to offer and I'm just being, you know, held back and stifled and I have so much more to give. And I think that is one of the things that led me to start podcasts and try to do my own thing is because I have often kind of just felt held back. I know that through the course of my career, especially since I left my job of 10 years a few years ago, I've not been able to get back on the track that I was on. And it's frustrating. And I, I can, on that level, appreciate and understand, like, 
some of the things that you might have been feeling and going through. Now, another thought that I have about all that is that meeting that you talked about, it brought back a memory of a meeting that I had when I first became a manager. And there were, and there was at least one, I think there were two co-workers that I had on my level that I think were bothered by the fact that I got promoted. And, you know, as somebody like me who, you know, while I like to think that I'm normal and like everybody, I know when it comes down to it, I am a little bit different. I think people sometimes pick up on that. And there, I remember I had to work overnight when I first started as a manager and I would have to call in and to like our afternoon meetings, which was dreadful because I'd no sooner get home, I'd have to get up for the meeting. But I digress. I'll talk about that another time. But um, I got up and just went to this meeting already kind of sensing that there were some people just not really supporting me like they should have. And I was putting in the effort and trying to go around and make sure I was getting the information I needed before I started my shift. And they just weren't giving it. But then they were turning around and complaining about me. And I remember this one meeting in particular, they were like, oh, it's the management. It's the management style. And I'm not there physically. I'm just on the phone. And I'm sitting at home. I'm like, damn it. No, that's not right. Because I know these people are treating me differently. And I, I know for a fact, I can tell by the way they interact with me compared to everybody else. Like maybe other people don't see it, but I see it. And I had to really just step up and assert myself and say, hey, I come around to you guys every night and ask questions and check in on things. And you're not really like giving me the support that I needed. And much like your meeting, you could hear a pin drop, like complete silence. And I think at least on my end, it kind of worked out where for whatever reason, I said the right thing and it kind of like worked itself out. But I had to fight like hell to uh, get that respect. So when you were telling that story, I was like, boy, that brings back memories, like bad memories. <laughs> so I don't know if you have anything to say about everything I just said, but uh, again, I don't want to act like I know what it's like to be, you know, somebody of another race or anything like that. But I think on certain levels, it's almost like I, I'm, I'm very empathetic and I kind of like get it, I feel. And mm -hmm. feel free to tell me if you think I don't get it. I'm always open. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely a different scenario, but at the end of the day, um, going through a process where you have to teach people how to treat you is frustrating. Yeah. Um, so... 
I relate to you on that level. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, putting some of that aside, you did something awesome. You started your own company and you're standing on your own two feet. Tell me a bit about the idea and why you decided to go in that direction. Well, I started my business um, as a life coach. I mentioned to you I had a rough teen years and 20s, early 20s. And actually working with a life coach changed my life. So while I was sitting there, like, what can I do? Because, yeah, I'm making great money here, but it's more than that for me. I want to make an impact similar to be wanting to be a psychiatrist, right? Like, I want to make an impact. And I was reminded about how much my life changed working with a coach. So I started my business very quickly. <laughs> it was an idea. And two months later, I had clients. Um, so I used the information that I had from my previous role, starting a team, building a team, business development, really, and, and utilize that in my business. And I was able to make money from day one. What I was finding, though, a lot of the women that were coming to me for life coaching were coming to me to overcome their fears and their hesitations about starting businesses, so one thing that I know about business, you have to listen to your audience. If you want to be successful, you have to listen to your audience. For instance, Coke started, they didn't have Diet Coke, right? It was Coke. And then they started making Diet Coke because all of a sudden their, their, their drinkers are health nuts, right? So they changed it. Then their Diet Coke became Coke Zero and any other iteration that they have to really move with the market. I think they even have green Coke now, right? So specifically <laughs> vegan, but they listen to the market. This is the most recognizable brand in the world. I listened to my market and I shifted once I left my job to start really focusing on helping women work on the mindset issues that come up in the beginning of starting a business. So we encounter, you know, imposter syndrome. We encounter a lot of fear. A lot of people are stuck because they're scared that someone's going to judge them. They're scared that someone is going to reject them. So I've created a program that deals with the mindset issues that stops 82% of people from being successful in business and marrying that with really solid strategy from the very beginning. A lot of the things that I've come across in, with working with women is that they don't do market research. They don't narrow down who their ideal client is. They create products or services that they like instead of what their audience needs. And that is why they are not successful in business. So I've created a proprietary method called the Vibe System that addresses all of that. And my clients walk through that system and walk away with the strategy to sign consistent clients. I mainly focus on coaches and service providers now. So they walk away with this strategy to 
selling consistent clients every single month, but they also walk away with a solid success mindset, willing to tackle the mindset hurdles that happen in entrepreneurship. So what do you think stops people from taking that step and becoming less self-conscious and going forward with their dream of entrepreneurship? What do you see? We are biologically wired to stay in our comfort zone. Our brain is there to protect us. Our subconscious is there to protect us. So we tend to believe what we think and we don't challenge it, right? Right. I remember when I was considering leaving my full-time job and the first thing that popped in my head is if I leave, I'm going to end up homeless. I'm going to end up on someone's street corner, shaking a tan, asking somebody for coins so that I can feed my family. That was my thought, my immediate thought. If I didn't know that that was belief, if I didn't know that that was a narrative that was not true and I allowed that to sit in my subconscious, I would never have moved forward. So why people get stuck, why people are unable to get past those thoughts of rejection and those thoughts of failure is because we are biologically wired to stay safe, quote unquote, right? And it's very hard unless you are consciously working towards it, it's very hard to rewrite those narratives. 98% of the doors that we have today, we had yesterday. So if we are not actively trying to change those doors, our status quo will always remain the same. And you know, on some level, I can really relate to that because I feel very ambitious and this project. I've been doing it for a few years now, but there's certain aspects of growth with it that I'm also kind of like super protective of and very uh, conservative about because I don't necessarily want to make the wrong move with it. But I mean, there comes a point where you got to just, you know, take, take a chance and you know, put yourself out there a little bit. And what state do you live in, Mark? I live in Maryland. Okay, so if you want to leave Maryland and go to Georgia, the one thing you need to do is leave Maryland. <laughs> I, you know what? The first thing I would have said, first thing I would have said was get a job. <laughs> Well, that's true. But in order for you to get to where you need to be, you have to be willing to let go of where you are. And a lot of times our willingness to change is not greater than our willingness to stay the same. And I can totally relate to that. I mean, it it takes a lot to take a leap of faith and hit that point where you're being real with yourself and you're just like, you know what? I, even though this is comfortable 
and could probably be comfortable for the next 30, 40, 50 years, and that's great. This other part of me is always going to be bothering me unless I take action. And taking action sometimes can be a very scary proposition. So I think that's really great of you to be trying to help people out of that shell. Thank you. I enjoy doing it. I, I'm a very passionate person and I'm also <laughs> a nonconformist. So <laughs> anything that is like against the grain, that's where I fit in well. <laughs> well, and I think that's what makes you such a good entrepreneur. I think that's what makes you a good fit for the entrepreneurial world. And I know for me, as I've gotten to know people like you and have gotten to understand myself more through doing this show, it's kind of made me realize that that's probably a niche that I belong in and it's something that I, I feel like I actually, as somebody who has rarely felt like they belonged anywhere, it's like, I, I think that's why I gravitated towards it and why I decided to do this show as this theme, because I feel a connection. I feel like I've been in to that. And mm -hmm. that's a very powerful thing. And I think at the end of the day, I think we're all looking for where we fit and where we belong. And who knew that feeling where you fit and where you belong for some people is actually going to the beat of your own drum. <laughs> I got my own band. Oh, <laughs> me too. I have a band and an orchestra and the whole nine. The whole nine. Yards. I don't know again. <laughs> I mean, you can even see behind me what I have, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that, I think it's just important. I think, so this probably, this conversation will probably go deeper than expected, but I, I homeschool my children. And the reason for that is because I can see how my individualism was stripped in the educational system. And then I spent 20 years trying to find who I am, right? Because I was groomed to get a good education, get a good job, climb a ladder and, and be successful. And that's the only way that success comes because that's what you're taught in school, right? Like you're not taught to go out there and be creative. You're not taught to go out there and chase your dreams. You're taught to go out there and get a good paying job, because that's what gives you status in society. So for me, as that nonconformist, I think it's just important for us to start revisiting why it is that we do what we do, why it is that we are willing to go into six-figure debt to get an education for a job that we have no passion for, Willing to stay in that role for 30 plus years, sometimes 40. And if you're lucky, it might be 50. 
And some people never leave their fresh jobs, right? People say, oh, I've been here since high school, right? But we're willing to get, or I've been here since college, we're willing to go into six-figure debt to get a job that we don't like, to work 40 years being miserable in hopes that we make it to retirement where we then, if we have enough money after we paid off our six-figure debt and raised our family and paid for our houses, now we can live. And I have a problem with that. So I said that, you know, I homeschool my children. I don't want my children to go into a system that strips them of who they are so they can be controlled. And then forces a narrative on them that may not be aligned with what they want in their lives. That is a really amazing perspective. And I don't think that's a, I think there are probably a lot of people who feel that way, but they don't really know how to fix it. Or again, don't put the effort in to make that change, you know, because it's safe to just go with what's expected and what's normal. Mm -hmm. And I do want to say one thing. I don't think the educational system that I was under tried hard enough with me because I spent that whole time just kind of out. Like, I, I have to admit that sometimes I struggle. You know, teachers get a lot of praise for what they do. And I'm sure it's a heck of a hard job. I probably, much like what we talked about earlier, I can't and shouldn't really put my feet in the shoes of an educator. But I will say that I had some negative experiences, just teachers not really just counting me out and not really giving me the benefit and not really seeing my intelligence. And I'm not saying I'm the most intelligent guy in the entire world, but I definitely was not given the credit and not always given quite the kind of attention and time that I probably needed. And as a result, between that and just classmates being what they were, I kind of wound up becoming a little more of a marching to the beat of your own drum type person. And uh, that just happened completely by accident, I guess. I had a very similar situation. And I would proudly say for years, I was the most intelligent person in the room. It was identified very early on that I was working well beyond my age group. And the Department of Education in Bermuda wanted to put me in high school um, when I was nine years old. And my mother said no, because she didn't want me outside of my peer group. Like that, it was too big of a jump. So I'm left with my peers. I already know this stuff that you're teaching me for years. I know this. And what does a bored child do? They act out. So I got labeled. People wrote me off because all they, all they saw is this rude child or someone who wanted attention, but I was just bored. So 
even that experience created a narrative for me that I I have, I'm having to rewrite in my business because I learned not to show my intelligence. I learned not to show that I was the smartest person in the room. I learned to do just enough to get by. And that became my story for 20 years. And it was because of my experience in the educational system. So I am a big fan of education, don't get me wrong, because I do believe that knowledge is power. (laughs) However, that system is broken. It was created in the industrial era (laughs) and we're not living there anymore. So again, another topic for another day, but you know, I'm just about challenging the social constructions and the social norms because I think it's important. We shouldn't continue to do things just because. I totally agree with everything you said there, just to kind of make it a little bit short. I do wish that I would have been a little more like you and had actually challenged things. I was too good when I was growing up. I kind of just took a lot of punches as uh, I was growing up and going through all that. And I kind of wish I wouldn't have, but I mean, you know, live and learn. I mean, you can't really change the past. But uh, one thing that we can talk about, a completely unrelated segue, I want to talk a little bit before we run out of time about vibe. You talk about vibe a lot in your uh, coaching. Explain what vibe means to you. So vibe is... Um, stands for in my business, visualization, identifying, building, and embodying. So I walked my clients through these four steps, visualizing where they want to be in their business in five years, what that looks like for them, right? Because a lot of times when we start business, we are doing all the things and none of the things tie in together, which creates overwhelm and frustration and failure for a lot of people. So getting really grounded in the direction that you're taking your business, the direction you're taking your life as a, as a result of the benefits you reap from your business allows you to start taking aligned intentional action. Then we identify what your zone of genius is, who you best serve, and what problem your skills are primed to solve. And from that point on, it's about building a personal brand that establishes you as an authority so that you can start attracting your ideal clients to you, so that you can start selling this amazing solution to the problem that they have. And then lastly, it's about embodying success today. The reason why a lot of us feel unsuccessful is because we are focused on where we are today and not where we're going. And I teach my clients how to show up as that successful business earner today, not when they reach their goals. So that's my vibe system. I walk my clients through that. And as a result of that, they are in a good position to bring consistent clients into their business. 
So I almost feel a little silly for what I'm about to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Why should somebody sign up to work with you in, I yeah, just why should somebody sign up to enlist in your coaching, do you feel? Because I'm already like super inspired and motivated by everything you've told me. So you already have me sold. (laughs) Thank you. I created my vibe system as a result of hard, fast failure. I started my business and was willing to fail hard and fast so I can see the success that I want. So my programs and working with me is about helping you navigate the minefield that is entrepreneurship without getting your limbs blown off. (laughs) Oh boy. Wow. And I thought you had more to add to that. Wow. That's that it just cuts off right. I mean, back. I can add more, but I think that was effective. <laughs> that, that was very effective for me. I'll tell you that. So how how can uh, potential clients get a hold of you to work with you, to follow you? How can they find you? I spend a lot of time on Instagram. So my Instagram handle is Black Rose Coaching. Black is spelled B-L-A. Q-U-E. It's actually my nickname, which is another story. But Black Rose Coaching, also blackrosecoaching.com. I'm on TikTok at Black Rose Coaching. And you can find me on Facebook at Letitia at Black Rose Coaching. That's my profile name and Black Rose Coaching. I have a um, business page as well. Oh, and I'm also on LinkedIn under Letitia Francis. And because I'm a huge music nerd, as you know, Black was also a 90s uh, R&B group spelled the same exact way as your company. So that is something that has been jumping around in my mind (laughs) the whole time. Yes, yes. Um, In Bermuda, everyone has nicknames. So my nickname has been Black my entire life. So... It was fitting. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I think this discussion and you being on this show was very fitting. This was very enjoyable, Leticia. Thank you so much for your time and for taking you know, time out of your day and for just all the adjustments with trying to get to this point. And uh, this was fantastic and inspiring so thanks thank you for having me and i'm glad that it was inspiring it it very much was and every time i do an episode and especially something that hits me like this always reminds me of why i started this podcast in the first place so everybody leticia francis she is a coach an entrepreneur and she to repeat again what she already told you is a certified mindset coach and business foundation instructor black rose coaching leticia francis she's fantastic follow her her instagram page is also gorgeous it's a 
great little Instagram page. I should probably follow it if I'm not already. Thank so, you. <laughs> I I was taking a look before we did the episode. Like, man, I only wish that my Instagram page looked that nice. Simple is easy. It's pink, gray, and black and white. Nice and simple. It's very very symmetrical in its theme. So (laughs) really, really nice Instagram page. And, you know, the proof is right here in this episode on how great you are and how inspiring you are. And before we sign off, you can always find me on LinkedIn, come follow. I'm always posting about careers and entrepreneurship. And you may even catch a video of me this year flying my drone around, which is one of my new hobbies. And I'm on Instagram. I mark my word six. Also, I'm always welcoming people to my regular page, Nimrod79. And yeah, you can find me all over social media. Obviously, mark my words is every, anywhere you can listen to or find uh, podcasts. So that is our show for today. Leticia, again, thank you, thank you for being on Mark My Words. I'm Mark Schmidt, and I'll be back soon with a new episode. Thanks, and bye for now. Thanks again for taking time out of your busy day to listen to Mark My Words. If you would like to connect with me beyond the show, you can find me on LinkedIn at Mark Schmidt, where I will be talking about entrepreneurship, careers, and anything else that is on my mind. You can also connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Nimrod1979 and Nimrod Sending I respectively. This podcast also has a page on Instagram at Mark My Words. And finally, if you want to leave me a voicemail or check out what I'm up to with the podcast, come find me at podpage.com slash mark dash my dash words. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back with a new episode soon. Bye for now.